by talking. My, my son, uh, who's two, getting ready to go on three here this November, uh, has been going through this funny phase at night. Uh, once we tuck him into bed, right, uh, about, we, we tuck him into bed, we pray with him, me and mom exit the room, we close the door, lights are off, okay, and lately he's been getting into this weird funk of, you know, getting up, knocking on the door about two minutes later after we close it, and, you know, saying monsters, right, okay, don't know where he's getting it, but of course, he's two, he's got an active imagination, he's scared, and of course, mom and dad go up, we open up the door, and then what does he do? He proceeds to try to show us where these monsters are at. It's rather comical. Not really sure if he's scared or if he's just doing it for attention. But either way, let's, let's just give him a benefit of doubt. Let's just say he's scared. Why is he scared? Well, it's because, you know, his, his mind is irrational, right? You know, he just saw the lights on. There was nothing there. As soon as they go off, his mind starts spinning. It starts going after things. It starts making him think that something's there that's really not. And so it makes him act a little bit differently, which is quite funny sometimes. Uh, But his fears, his fears get to him, right? What's interesting is we all have fears. Some of us still are afraid of the dark, and don't get me wrong, the dark is sometimes creepy, and sometimes it is scary. But there's other things in our life that tend to make us scared. Uh, For instance, for me, uh, I'll share with you a little bit, Uh, visitation is a scary one for me. I don't know why. Uh, every time you know people talk about visitation or i 'm going on visitation for some weird reason, my mind starts to to go in the direction that this is going to be like the worst visit ever. Something like extremely bad is going to happen like someone 's going to like die in my arms like i don 't know i, I, I don 't know why my mind thinks that way, but visitation is one of those things that i 've had to practice as a pastor i 've had to get better at, and it does take practice uh, you know you have to do it over and over and over again to get comfortable, but I'll tell you, every time I'm driving to someone's house, I don't know why, but I get a bit scared, and it's usually just because I don't know what's going to happen, which is kind of silly, right, because every visitation I've ever been on has always been really good, and it's actually been really encouraging to me, and not only to me, but also to the people I visit, of just getting to talk with them, to meet with them, to ask them how they're doing, to pray with them, all right, these, these visits are really good. Now, what happens if I let my fear control or dictate what I do? Well, it will stop me from experiencing these cool mission opportunities, these ministry opportunities that God has for me. And so for you guys, maybe you guys have some fears in your life. Uh, How many of you guys are afraid of spiders? Yeah, I hate spiders as well. They scare me a little bit. They're creepy when God created them. Don't know what he was doing there, but... uh, through a bunch of parts together. Anyhow, nothing should have eight eyes. Let's just go with that, okay? Uh, we all have fears, and some of the, sometimes those fears can just stop us dead in our tracks. Maybe for you, it's stuff in ministry, okay? You know, when we ask people to join kids' ministry, there's a lot of people who are scared, especially when you ask men about, hey, can you help out in the nursery? Why are men really scared? Because babies scare them, okay? But what's interesting is sometimes these things, like there's usually a need for people in nursery. There's usually a need for people in children's ministry. But people are scared to work with them. And they say, "Uh, I don't do that. I don't work with kids. I don't know how to work with kids. Okay, I, I get that. But maybe 
your fear of working with kids is holding you back from doing something or experiencing a ministry that God really wants you to be a part of. Now, we could flip it around. There are some people who are completely scared of working with adults. Okay, now, I don't teach adults. I I would never stand in front of adults. I would never do that. But maybe God is calling you, urging you to go and do some type of ministry with them. Maybe he's calling you to adult ministry or to teach, or maybe just to share on occasion. There's some people who are scared to pray in public, right? You know, they're like, no, I don't, do, I, don't have, I don't have the words. What will people think of me? You know, not only is that a bad mindset because your goal in, in prayer is talking with God. It's not to be focused on other people, but it might be limiting you because maybe God does want you to pray. Maybe that'll be an encouragement, especially on visitations. What happens if I'm scared to pray with the people? You know, you miss out on some ministry there. We also have other fears outside of all of that. Think about when you change jobs, right? That can be a scary situation, going into a new job. Maybe it's changing houses or townships or moving. Maybe it's just a change in life. These things can all cause fear. And a lot of these things are from our situations in life, because why? We can't control them. And so what we're going to see here today in Matthew 14, 22 through 33 is this. The disciples actually have what we might call a blinding fear, Uh, that causes them to lose their faith in who Jesus Christ is. These guys, we'll talk a little bit about it, but they have some type of glimpse of knowing who Jesus is, as we'll see from Peter's reaction. Uh, But the fact of the matter is they're starting to gain this knowledge of who exactly is this guy, who exactly is our teacher now. But the thing is, in the midst of their scary situation, being on a lake, in a storm, on a boat, It freaks them out enough that they take their eyes off Christ and they lose track of him. They lose who's with them. And they forget that God is there with them, protecting them. And the thing is, for us as Christians, what we're going to learn is that Christians have to have faith in Christ even when fear blinds us from him. We have to continue to look to him, go through that fear, look through it. Mark Twain, uh, one of his famous quotes is that, Courage is not the absent, uh, absence of fear, but what you do in the midst of it. Okay, And that's a good quote for this. Is that, yes, we're all going to experience fear, but what are we going to focus on when that fear comes up? And for Christians, we need to keep focus on Christ. So let's go ahead and read this. Matthew 14, 22 through 33. Just follow along with me. It says this. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. After dismissing the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Well into the night, he was there alone. Meanwhile, the boat was already some distance from land, battered by the waves because the wind was against them. Jesus came toward them, walking on the sea very early in the morning. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. Immediately, Jesus spoke to them, Have courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter answered, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. And climbing out of the boat, Peter started walking on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the strength of the wind, he was afraid and began to sink. And he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand caught hold of him and said to him, You of little faith, 
Why do you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Those in the boat worshipped him and said, Truly, you are the Son of God. Over the last couple of weeks, I've been teaching kids in our Wednesday night class. We've been doing the Great Sea Adventures. This was one of their stories. And verse 33 was one of their memory verses over this last month. This is a very important passage as we see. So let's break it down. The first thing we see here is this. Jesus dismisses for prayer. In verses 22 and 23, it starts off immediately. Okay, immediately from what? Well, if you look back, you'll see there's the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus has been doing ministry. Of course, we, we know from the rest of the book of Matthew, we have his birth account. But then he's been doing ministry as an adult, right? He gets baptized. He has the Sermon on the Mount. He's been healing people. He's been traveling around. He's been speaking in parables now. He's been doing many signs and wonders. And right before this, he fed 5,000 people with five loaves and two small fish, right? He told the disciples, hey, uh, feed the people. The disciples said, well, we're in a desolate place. We should just send them home. We don't have anything for them. And Jesus takes this lunch or, or this food from the little boy, blesses it, prays over it, and then he starts handing it out. And these 5,000 people eat their fill from this meal, from, from God multiplying this food. And in fact, they have leftovers. And it's immediately after this fact, after the disciples have just seen this miracle take place, Jesus kind of ushers them into the boat and says, okay, go home. Now, why? Because it's late at night. It's getting time to go home to sleep. In fact, he's dismissing the crowds because why? They don't have a place to stay. They're in a desolate place. Now, where is that? We'll take a look here in just a a few seconds. I've got some pictures for us to look at, but... The fact of the matter is they're in a place that there's really no provisions for them to stay the night. So Jesus ushers his disciples into the boat and says, go home. All right? Take the boat, go home. They're probably headed up to Capernaum or around there where where Jesus was staying and where Peter was staying. And where probably many of the disciples were from. And so he, he ushers them, he says immediately, he dismisses the disciples to get in the boat and leave, while he dismisses the crowds himself. So he's going to release them. He says, hey, we're done for today, and he takes them home. And then when that happens, he finds himself there alone, in a desolate place, all by himself. And what does Jesus take time to do? Pray, right? Yeah, this is an important thing. If you look in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you'll see that regularly, after ministry, Jesus takes time, either late at night or early in the morning, to pray, to get away by himself to pray. In fact, in Luke, one of the the fun texts is he actually gets up early in the morning so that no one knows where he's at to go and pray. And the disciples actually leave to go find him and say, hey, people are looking for you. The thing is, Jesus goes by himself to pray to his father. And why is he doing that? Well, there's two good reasons One, he's probably praying for the ministry that just happened as he was teaching these people that God's word would sink in. Two, he might just be praying for himself, too, as well. We know that Jesus does that regularly. We get to see a glimpse of that in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before Jesus' trial, right? He's praying to the Father, sweating blood. We know that Jesus has a regular ministry in prayer. Now, the next thing we see here is, though, after he dismisses the crowds, after he prays, what happens? Matthew jumps to this idea, 24 and 25. 
Meanwhile, so while Jesus is doing all of that, the disciples were going across the Sea of Galilee trying to get home when this storm comes up. They were a distance from land, battered by the waves, and the wind was against them. Okay, so we have this picture. What what is happening? The disciples are on the Sea of Galilee. If you don't know, the Sea of Galilee, that's a misleading title. Uh, It's really more like a lake. It's only 8 miles wide and 13 miles long. All right, from a satellite picture, this is what it looks like. Okay, it's really not that big. Now, that, that even might be hard to, to understand. So I found a video from when I went to Israel, uh, standing where they believe the Sermon on the Mount took place. Uh, this overlooks the entire lake, and you can see Capernaum, you can see Nazareth, all from this spot. Capernaum is right down over here. This is on the northern side of the lake. Uh, the rocks, and, and this is a just giant cliff right over there. Um, but as the video turns here, you'll see Capernaum's right over here. This is where they believe Jesus and Peter's houses were, where they had a, a major part of their ministry, where Peter and John and James all docked their boats. Over here is the Decapolis, where the pigs run off the cliff. All right, As it keeps panning and keeps panning, over here on this side mountain is Nazareth. All right? So you see all the way down over here is the other side of the Jordan. Now, where, where is Jesus and his crew at? We're not really 100% sure. The Bible doesn't tell us exactly where they're at. But it's someplace where there's towns at least nearby that Jesus is dismissing them and that large crowds are following them. So it's possible that they're down over here. It's possible that they're up over here. Either way, the disciples had a boat and were taking it back to the very beginning of Capernaum. Uh, so what happens? Well, in the meantime, as they're crossing, this storm picks up. This is not uh, unheard of. If you know anything, the, where the Decapolis is, where I showed you those mountains, where the pigs run off the cliffs, right? Strong winds can come easily down through there, stir up storms within this lake, okay? And it, it's very, they can get rough. They can get really bad. Apparently, this is bad enough that the wind is so much against them that they can't go anywhere. They're kind of stuck. Because every time they try to go forward, try to get home, the waves are opposing, the winds are opposing them, holding them in place. Now, this goes on all night long to the point where Matthew says, at the fourth watch, or early in the morning. This is from 3 a.m. to 6 a.m., somewhere in there, okay? So these guys, experienced fishermen, at least four of them are experienced fishermen. They know how to handle a boat and winds and waves. They're stuck. And Jesus comes walking out on the sea to them. Now, why does Jesus do that? Well, the fastest way from point A to point B is what? You guys know? Yeah, I know. A little, a straight line, right? Jesus is walking home. Why, Why walk all the way around the lake when you could just go straight through, right? Jesus is going to use this as an opportunity uh, to test the disciples' faith. And so what happens? They see him, and then the disciples respond. Fear strikes in verse 26. The three key things. They're terrified, it's a ghost, and they cried out in fear. All right? And so this is always fun. This makes me think of Scooby-Doo here, as you guys can see this little picture on the side. My son loves Scooby-Doo. And if you know anything about Scooby-Doo... Whenever Shaggy and Scooby get scared, what do they always cry out? It's a ghost, right? Uh, and they're, they're super scared of just everything. All right, this is what's happening to the disciples. 
They're scared of what they're seeing because there is someone walking on the sea, which that doesn't make any sense. They're terrified from just everything going on. The winds, the waves, now a person. They cry out, it's a ghost. This word ghost uh, just simply means uh, a spirit. Uh, They may have been thinking, hey, maybe it's a demon coming at us. Who knows? They might be even thinking, hey, this is death walking toward us. Maybe we're all about to die uh, type deal. And they're crying out in fear. And so what we see is that the disciples respond out of this fear. They're not looking toward anything else. They're just looking at their situation and they're scared. And what does Jesus do? And this is the key word. In 27, this is the second immediately that we're going to see in this passage. Immediately, as soon as they said that, Jesus spoke to them. said, have courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. And when you look at this in Greek and when you, when you take this apart, what's really cool is it literally does translate out to take courage. I am. Fear not. Now, you guys know the I am are powerful statements going all the way back to Exodus. When Moses is at the burning bush and says, who am I supposed to say is sending me to your people? And he says, I am who I am. When Matthew writes this, this is powerful because remember, Matthew writes to a Jewish audience who would have been familiar with this idea. When Jesus says, I am, this represents what? Simply his directing himself to be God with his disciples. So why should they take courage? Who's with them? God is with them, right? Take courage, take heart, and fear not. And so Jesus immediately replies to this. He hears his disciples crying out, and he's going to make sure that this stops. They should not be afraid. And so what happens? Well, Peter responds. Peter says, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. This is a a pretty decent statement by Peter. Peter recognizes that Jesus has the ability to do this. He recognizes that this is probably Jesus. But just to make sure, let's, let's ask him a question. Lord, if it is you, I know you can let me come out on the water with you. Peter recognizes something about Jesus. We're not exactly sure what yet. We know in a few chapters from now, he's going to make the point, yeah, you are the Messiah, which Jesus is going to say, good job. That's right. But here, Peter makes a faith statement. Let me come out to you. I know you can do it. And so Jesus says, come. Now, this could have been an interesting response if Peter would have just said, ah, I'm just joking. I'm like, no, I'm good. Just want to make sure. Uh, No, but Peter actually does it, right? His faith is going to carry him outside of the boat. So he actually steps over the boat onto the the waves, walks out to Jesus. This is pretty amazing. However, as he's getting out there, something is going to happen, right? And in this story, we know it. It's a fleeting faith. It was enough to motivate him off that boat, but not enough to carry him through everything. As he's walking, he looks around and he gets scared. And fear seizes Peter, grabs a hold of him, and he takes his eyes off of Christ, and he looks at the winds, he looks at the waves. He's starting to probably wonder, how in the world am I doing this? And he starts to sink. And then what happens? He cries out, Lord, save me. 
Now notice that Jesus didn't wait around. He didn't say, okay, I'm going to let you sink a little bit, Peter, to let this sink in some more. No, he said, 31, immediately Jesus reached out and grabbed him. Notice he didn't call out for the other disciples to come and save him. He's calling out to the one who can actually help him. And Jesus says a powerful, powerful question that is the key focus of this passage. You of little faith, why do you doubt or why do you fear? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. The powerful question is why you have little faith. You had enough faith, Peter, to get out of the boat. But as soon as you looked around at your situation, you questioned it. You took your eyes off me. You know what I could do. You knew that I was sustaining you through this, but you took your eyes off me. Why do you have such little faith? A powerful question that I'm sure that sunk into Peter's head. And then notice the reaction of the other disciples. Everyone who's in that boat falls down. They start worshiping Jesus. They start acknowledging he is from God, that he is the Son of God, which is good. But if you think about this, is when Jesus rescues Peter, they walk back to that boat. And I'm sure Peter's thinking about that. So what do we learn from this passage? Christians must have faith in Christ even when fear blinds them from him. Jesus was right in front of Peter. The fear struck Peter's heart. He took his focus off of Christ. So we learn a few things here that we we need to think about. First principle here is this. Circumstances that we're in can cause fear in our hearts. Guys, Christians are not immune to fear. As I said, you know, I'm afraid of spiders. I hate spiders. I don't know why. They're just creepy. Uh, but the thing is, being in a certain circumstance can cause fear in anyone's life, whether it be a spider in front of you or in your bed or on your arm or something like that. Those are all freaky moments, right? No one likes that, especially when you're doing yard work. Uh, but maybe it's snakes. Maybe it's ministry. Maybe it's working with kids. Maybe it's working with adults. Maybe it's giving your money. Maybe it's holding your money. Maybe it's getting a new job. Maybe it's a new stage of life. I don't know. Your circumstances in your life can cause fear. We should know that. Change does scare us as humans, right? We like our routine. We like what's going to ha- knowing what's going to happen because we like being in control. And as soon as something changes, we realize again that nothing is really in our control, and that scares us. But the second thing is this. Fear can make us believe in the irrational. Okay? Like I said... When I go to visitation, sometimes I get scared. Sometimes my mind starts going crazy, thinking of the worst possible things can happen. For my son, right, at night, he just had the lights on. He saw everything. There was nothing in his room. As soon as they go off, his mind starts spinning up stories. His imagination starts going. And it causes him to become irrational, right? There's monsters. No, there's not. You just saw there was nothing in your room. Nothing changed except for the lights going off. Same thing with our lives, right? Our fears can make us do things that are irrational. Our fears can make us think things that are irrational. And we need to be careful of that. The third thing is this, that we learn that Christ can calm all fear because of who he is. I mean, just like the disciples were scared in that boat, they were terrified something was coming at them. 
They had no idea what this thing was. They were scared. And what does Jesus offer them? Just a simple saying. He doesn't show them anything. He just simply says, Fear not, it is I. Take courage. Why can he even say that? It's because of who he is. It's because he is God. He's simply telling them, God is with you. I'm with you. Don't misunderstand that, guys. For us as Christians, we need to understand God is with us. And that when we remember this fact, when we recall it, when we act upon it, it does calm our fears. It allows us to move past fear, to do what is right in the midst of it. And so we need to hold to who Christ is. We need to hold to who God is. The fourth thing here is we can respond in obedience and faith even in the midst of fears. Let's face it, we all get anxious about things. We all get a little fearful sometimes here and there. But like I said earlier, courage is the ability to move past that fear, even in the midst of it. And Christ gives us the ability to respond in obedience and in faith in the midst of our fears. See, without him, we get paralyzed by it. There's really nothing that we can hold to that, to give us courage necessarily because there's nothing that consistent in our lives. I mean, sure, we can think about family. Maybe family can give you so much courage to do certain things. But the fact of the matter is your family is not always going to be around. Scott's, you know, Scott just sent Faith out to, uh, to camp to encounter revival ministries, right? Her family's no longer around her necessarily. So, you know, she can't hold on to that anymore. She can't rely on family necessarily to give her the courage to do what's right because they're not around. For us, our family's not always around, right? If we put our faith into something other than Christ, that courage becomes spotty at best. And it's not always reliable. And then when fear does grip us, it stops us dead. But you see, Christ is something that we could depend on regularly, consistently, constantly. And he gives us that ability to be obedient to his word, even when it seems scary to do so. He gives us the faith to hold on to it. And the last one here is that fear can distract us from looking at and worshiping Christ. You know, I just, I find it interesting that the disciples didn't just worship him, didn't acknowledge something when he just starts walking on water. I mean, that alone is pretty crazy. That alone is an awesome feat, a very powerful feat. When we sung, How Great Is Our God? Think about that. Like, why didn't they just respond with that? No, they were terrified. Peter has to check something out, and it's not until they get back into the boat that they fall down and worship him. You see, the fear can distract us from what God's doing. Fear distracts us from seeing what God maybe is trying to do in our lives. Maybe something that God is trying to push us toward. Maybe a ministry, maybe people, maybe some type of opportunity in our life. And fear can distract us. It can pull our attention away from that. Because we're looking at everything else around us instead of looking at what can God do in this circumstance. So how can we live past this fear that may blind us and live for Christ? How do we keep this focus? I have just a few principles for us in this application today. The first one is that we need to trust in the person of Christ. We have to understand who he is. We have to understand that he is God, that he is the all-powerful creator. Why? 
Because if we understand that, we understand that nothing can stop us, right? If he is for us, who can be against us? You guys have heard that probably in a song on the radio that plays like once an hour on WJTL and the Word. I mean, it's on every day. But why, tr- why do we start here? Trusting in the person of Christ. Who is he? Because if you start understanding who Christ is and all that he can do, if you understand who God is and you start to understand that relationship he wants to have with you, you know that nothing can separate you from him, that he loves you, that he will do anything for you. Even sending the son to die on the cross for our sins. So it all starts there. We have to understand who God is. How do we do that? Of course, by being in his word, learning from his word about what he's told and revealed to us about who he is. The second one is that we need to pray and look for him in times of fear and doubt. Paul, a few weeks ago, did, one on, uh, did a sermon on prayer, and I really liked it. He made the point that it's all too often true for all of us, is when times do get scary, we do turn to God. When times are good, we tend to forget him. We need to be consistent in this. Sometimes when times are scary, we just, we just jump this. We forget to pray. We forget to look for him. We forget to ask him for help. And a lot of times, certainly, we forget to ask him to show us what he wants us to learn from our experiences or our circumstances. Then the third one, we need to respond in faith when he calls you to act or to take courage. We need to respond in faith. Don't let fear paralyze you and stop you from doing something that you feel God is calling you to do. Take that step. Let him carry you through. You know he's going to provide for you because he said he would. We need to respond in faith when he calls for us to act. Maybe this is just regular obedience, right? Let's just think about it this way. Sometimes obeying God's word can be scary and it can be difficult. But we're told to respond in, respond in faith. We're told to respond in obedience, to obey his word. So when you have a situation that comes up in life where you're like, well, I could just lie about this situation or I could tell the truth. Is telling the truth scary sometimes? The answer is, yeah, why? Because you have to open yourself up. You have to be vulnerable. You have to admit probably that you're wrong or you did something wrong instead of lying and maybe pushing off the blame on someone. Doing the right thing can be scary. But when God calls you to do the right thing, when he calls you to tell that truth, we need to do it. We need to take faith that that is what God wants us to do and that he'll give us that ability to do what's right. In fact, I, I like what Paul says in Romans. When you, when you read through the book of Romans, I, I don't know how you walk away not knowing this, but Paul makes the point. Every time I want to do something for God, I do the opposite, right? Because of my sin nature. But he goes, I really do desire. And, and because of what Christ has done, I am able to now what be free from sin, free from doing the wrong thing, and now respond in faith and obedience and do the right thing. And it's all because of what Christ has done for us. But we need to take that step of, of action too. You know, we're involved in that process. We need to respond in faith. This uh, next one is we need, when we fall or when we fail, we need to turn back to him for help. Look, guys, we're, we're, we're not perfect yet. We are going to fall and we are going to fail sometimes. We're going to mess up. We're going to trip up. Sometimes fear is going to get the best of us. Sometimes we are going to get paralyzed. Sometimes we are going to lose focus on who Christ is. 
But the thing is, when you realize that, you stop and you turn back to him. You pray, you go back to him, and you say, God, no, I do need you. You refocus. You keep that focal point on Christ and on what he wants you to do. And the last one is that we need to learn from our experiences. This is a a fun one that I I learned from this last week from Howard Hendricks' book, um, The the Seven Laws of Teacher, The Seven Laws of Being a Teacher or an Effective Teacher. Uh, First one is just when he talks about experiences. He makes a quote that experiences aren't really helpful unless you evaluate them, unless you take time to reflect upon them. I mean, think about this with Peter, just for this instance. What if Peter continues on through his life without ever thinking about that question that Jesus asks? Why do you doubt you have little faith? What if he just moved past that and said, well, you know, hey, whatever, Jesus. I don't think when you get to two or three chapters later when he says, no, you are the Messiah, I believe that that really does come from these experiences that Peter has. He's looked back. He's thought about, what did I just see? What did I just experience? He learned from his past experiences. For us, me me and Paul were just talking about this yesterday uh, here at the church for, for a brief minute or two. But why do we need to look back at the experiences, at at the things that happen in our life? Why do we need to learn from these things? Because sometimes they're not clear until after the fact that they're done. We don't see what was God doing in our life during these circumstances. But after the circumstances, we see, oh no, this is how God was directing us. Uh, Paul was pulling out old files from the church. This was actually kind of cool. He was looking for for a uh, document and... Uh, he was going through the 2001-2002 church year, which there was a lot of things that came up in the 2001-2002 church year. I don't know if you knew that. An air compressor blew. The basketball court was voted upon and settled on. You had um, the office was bought and remodeled. There were a lot of things that came up. There were a lot of provisions made. And as me and Paul were sitting there, we were seeing, man, how did God work for us that year? It was very clear because he made provisions. They were still paying off a loan here at the church in the midst of all of this. And all of that stuff pretty much got settled that year, which was great. It ended there. When we look back, we learn from our experiences. We see how God has been working. And so when we go into the next Circumstance When we go into our next situation, and we may get a little bit of scared, we may start feeling that fear creep up in our lives, we remember this is how God acted in the past. That's why I love it in the Old Testament. God always calls Israel back to, what did I do for you in Egypt? Did I not bring you out of Egypt? Did I not provide for you through the wilderness? Did I not help you with these battles? Did I not provide a land for you? He recalls all of these past things that he's done. We need to remember what God's done in our life because that also will remind us to trust in his person, what he's done for us. That will help us to respond in faith, move past that fear, do what God wants us to do. And then we learn from that experience. We ask the questions, what did I do good in this situation? I believe Peter probably looked looked back and said, okay, what did I do good here? Well, I I got out of the boat, right? I responded in faith. What did I do bad? I kind of got distracted halfway out there, and I started to sink. And then when Peter asks himself the third question, right, you know, what am I going to change next time? 
Uh, next time I do this, I'm not taking my eyes off Christ. That's for sure, right? You don't want to be in that position again. You look at Peter, First and Second Peter. Peter learns his lesson because why? He says, no matter through whatever suffering comes at me, what is his focus? First and Second Peter make it very clear. My focus is at the end, that I know everything, everything will be worth it. Everything I have to go through will always be worth it because Christ is in front of me. And he learns his lesson. So I want to challenge you here today. Are you being blinded by fear? Are you being paralyzed by fear? Or are you taking rest in the fact of knowing who Jesus Christ is? That he can give you the courage to move past that fear, to do what is right. Are you trusting in his person? Are you holding on to your faith here? And are you responding in faith and in obedience? I want to pray that your response today will be one like the disciples, where after this scenario they fall down, they worship, and they praise God. They realize who Jesus is, that you would in your life, through situations, through circumstances that may scare you, realize what God's trying to do in your life, and that you would give praise to him. Let's close in a word of prayer. Dearly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. We pray that you will just continue to strengthen our hearts when fear arises from different situations or circumstances that would be going on around us. I don't know what that would look like in each and every one of our lives, but we all have something in our mind, Lord, that when it comes up, we get scared. But Lord, we want to pray that we will take courage to continue to rely on you and trust in who you are as your word tells us, that you are an all-powerful, all self-existent God who loves us so much, who's trustworthy and faithful always. Lord, I pray that we will just take hold of that, that we will strengthen and build our faith. Lord, help us just to look back into our lives and see how, see how you work, how you've worked in our lives and what you've done for us. And let us just praise you for that and remember to praise you as these things come up in our lives that are not in our control, that may stop us dead in our tracks. Lord, I thank you for all that is that you've done for me, that you've done for our church here. Lord, I just pray that you continue to work in us. Help us grow in our relationship with you and to strengthen that, to have that desire. Help us to be like Peter and take those little steps and acts of faith. But let us keep focus on you, Lord. Help us to to not look around and be distracted by the things around us, but to to keep our visions, keep, keep our vision, our sight on you and on the end goal so that we can bring honor and glory to you. Lord, I just pray that you continue to be with us in, in this morning as we continue to study and work with one another, as we continue to fellowship with one another. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys are dismissed. Go with God.